It's a joy to be back with you this morning. I'm going to have to apologize for my voice. Whatever is going around, I caught about four weeks ago and lost my voice completely. And uh, so I'm still struggling a bit uh, with it. And I hope it's not too much of a terror to you as I endeavor to speak this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is the second Sunday of Advent, uh, the Sunday that we mark for peace. We light the candle for peace as we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world. But you know, the message of Christmas has been terribly misapplied and misunderstood for many, many years. When you, many people think about Christmas, what do they think about? When you look around and you talk about, uh, ask the question, what does, Christmas, what does Christmas really mean to you? It's amazing the answers that you get. If it's a small child, of course, it means a lot of gifts and a lot of candy and sweet things. You talk to a shop owner, it means 40% of his year's income in two or three weeks of the month of December. If you talk to others, it may mean anything from tinsel and toys and celebrations and roasted marshmallows and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and all the other snowflakes and romance. It may mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. But what is the real meaning of Christmas? How do we go a little bit deeper than just what our world around us talks about? Well, I think we can go to one of the greatest texts in the Bible on Christmas. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I don't know of a single scrap of scripture anywhere that condenses the Christmas message any more closely or encapsulates it any better than the simple statement of Paul to Timothy that I just read to you. It's got to be one of the greatest texts in the Bible of Christmas. It's a great, great story. But when you think about that statement that Paul made, it just sort of unwraps itself in four simple statements about Christmas. First of all, it tells us that Christmas is about a great story. It's a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. It tells us, secondly, that Christmas is about a great Savior, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It also tells us that Christmas is about a great salvation. He came to save sinners. It also tells us that it's about a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who came. Let's take a little closer look at at those points that I just shared with you this morning. First of all, Christmas is about a great story. You're going to be sharing stories over Christmas. I can, when my grandkids will come home, I'll gather them around and I'll at least share a few stories from my early childhood, my Christmas, what it was like. And they love to hear those stories. 
Some of you are going to share stories about Santa Claus. We know that's just a simple myth. But I'm talking about something beyond myth. The story that I'm talking about may be mystical and it may be marvelous, but it's not a myth. It is absolutely true. It's not a fairy tale, but it's a truth, absolute truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why is this such a great story? Well, it's a great story for two basic reasons. Number one, it's historical. It's anchored in time and space. Christ Jesus came into the world at a specific time. When did he come? The Bible says he came in the fullness of time. Christ Jesus came. When in the world was the fullness of time? Well, when you comb back through the Old Testament prophecies, there are over 300 prophecies that were spoken and were focused on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They were written centuries apart. They were written by many different authors, but they all came together in one moment in history, in the fullness of time, in the person of Jesus Christ. It was a historical moment. What time? It came at about at a time when the world was under the foot of Roman rule, when Caesar Augustus was the emperor, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, when Herod the Great was the puppet king of Judea. In ancient Palestine, Jesus Christ entered time and space. He entered history in a moment of time that is verifiable, that is absolutely true. He came to a couple in a village called Nazareth. The carpenter's name was Joseph. His wife was just a teenage girl. Her name was Mary. The miraculous conception of Christ happened in history, in time, in space. Not a myth, not maybe mystical, but true. The great Christmas story is historically true. And that story changed the course of history forever. I know we've changed the names, but B.C. used to mean before Christ. A.D. used to mean after his death. He changed everything that came before him. He changed everything that came after him. You can't even go to the calendar without understanding that Christ Jesus came into the world. It's a historical fact. But not only is it such a great story because it's historically true, it's a great story because it is transformational to everyone that hears it. It's amazing what the power of the good news that Christ came into the world can do. Just simply quoting the text that I quoted to you this morning. If I take you back in time in the period of the church, what we call the Dark Ages, when Catholicism literally ruled the church with a rod of iron and corrupt popes sat on the, on the throne as the head of the church. If you went back into that time, into the early, early 1500s, and you visited Cambridge University, you'd find a little man by the name of Thomas Bilney. His fellow students called him Little Bilney because he was short of statute. Little Bilney was there training as a priest training to be a, a man of the cloth, as we would say, training to be a minister. But yet his own heart was unenlightened. His own heart was darkened, just as the rest of the church dwelled in darkness. Little Bilney penned in one of his journals something like this. 
He said, the religion that I had known all of my life left my heart void and aching. There was a hunger and a thirst within me that nothing seemed to fill. My soul was sick and I longed for peace, but nowhere could I find it. He said, I went to my priest. They appointed me penances and pilgrimages, yet these things did nothing to satisfy my soul. I found no profit in them at all. But at last, a man by the name of Erasmus, a scholar that came to Cambridge and he had translated the New Testament into Latin and I was drawn to that language and I was able to secure one of those New Testaments. He said, when I opened that New Testament, he said, I opened to this verse and I read these words. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said simply reading that one sentence did much to lift up my poor bruised spirit. The very bones within me leaped for joy and gladness. And he said my long dark night finally turned to day and the light suddenly broke in that my sins, my sins were forgiven through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It's a great story. It's a historical story. It's a transformational story. But not only that, it's a story about a great Savior. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating a great story, but we're selling a a great story about a great Savior who came into the world to save sinners. There's some amazing stories that we can share with you this morning. One such story took place in the heart of the Korean War. There was an American missionary who had settled in a little Korean village in the very heart of that Korean conflict. She had made friends all around the little village and was a blessing to so many. It's now Christmas Eve and one of the Korean women whose husband was away at war was expecting their first child and she was great with child and As Christmas Eve dawned and the snow was covering the ground, this little Korean mother realized that her due due moment was very, very near. And and being alone and being unsure, being the first child, she thought, I'll make my way over to where the missionary lives and she can assist me in the birth of my child. She bundles herself up in her Korean garb and she starts out on her little journey and across the, on the way to the other side of the village, she had to cross a gully that had a bridge over it. As she started up on the bridge, she began to feel the pains of birth gripping her body. As she descended the far side of the bridge, she realized that she couldn't go on any further. The child was about to come, and in her fear and her bewilderment, she didn't know what to do. She looked around and she saw a little path that led off the road and back under the trellises of that great bridge. She made her way down that little path. She got up under that bridge for safety from the snow. And there, as Christmas Eve passed into Christmas Day, that little Korean mother gave birth to a beautiful little baby boy. Temperature was frigid. It was in the 30s, dropping down below freezing. She knew the child would not make it, so she began to 
take her, her clothes, those padded garments that she had on her body. She began to take them off her own body and she tore them into strips. And she wrapped that little baby up like a little cocoon. And finally, when she had him completely wrapped and snug and warm, her body had been stripped of all of its clothing. She looked around and there was an, a gunny sack nearby and she crawled over and she took the gunny sack, she spread it across her body and then she snuggled up that little boy into her bosom and she went to sleep. Early Christmas morning, the missionary got up bright and early. She needed to make her way across that same bridge into the other part of the village to take a Christmas basket to an elderly woman that she cared for. After delivering that basket, she made her way in her little Jeep back across that bridge. She got up in the very middle of the bridge, and for some strange reason, the Jeep sputtered and died. She looked down, and the Jeep was out of gas. She just simply got out of the Jeep and started walking across the bridge back to where she lived to secure more gasoline. And as she got to the end of that bridge, she heard what she was sure was the cry of a babe. She stopped. She listened. Sure enough, she could hear the cry of a baby. And she began to trace the sound of that cry. And it sounded like a baby that was hungry and crying out. And as she traced the sound of that cry, she made her way around that same little path up under that bridge. And sure enough, there was a Korean mother holding a little Korean baby as she looked down and reached for the baby, she realized that the mother had died, frozen to death during the night. The missionary took that little Korean boy into her own home, adopted him. He became her son. Every year around Christmas time, she would share with him that story that how she found him, how she found her mother, that his mother had literally given her life that he might live. It's now the 12th Christmas since that time. And that Korean boy had just celebrated, celebrated his 12th birthday. And on that very day, that Christmas day, it was snowing once again. He turned to his adoptive mother, the missionary, and said to her, I'd love to visit the grave of my mother this morning. And she said, of course. They bundled up warmly. They got into the Jeep and they made their way out to that cemetery. The boy turned to his adoptive mother and he said, if you don't mind, I'd like to go alone to the grave. I just, I'd appreciate if you'd just stay in the Jeep. She respected that and she remained. And the little boy, 12-year-old boy, slips out of the Jeep, makes his way out to his mother's grave, stands there, head down, shoulders slumped, looking at the snow-covered grave. The missionary's watching him and concerned in her heart, knowing that his heart is heavy for his mother that he never knew. When all of a sudden the missionary said she noticed that that 12-year-old boy began to slip off his warm jacket. He laid it down on the grave. The next thing she noticed, he began to take off his shirt. And he laid that shirt down on the grave. And then she said he began to slip out of his warm trousers and as he was slipping out of those trousers, she got out of the Jeep. She hurried toward him. 
And just as he was laying those trousers down on the grave, she said, I could hear him say these words, Mother, did you get this coal for me? Mother, did you get this coal for me? And then he would weep, knowing that she got much colder, cold to the point of death. Ladies and gentlemen, on this second Sunday of Advent of Christmas, I'm talking to you about one that is far greater and who has stooped far lower than this Korean mother. What condescension. The king of glory laid aside his royal robes of heaven, the splendor and the glory that he knew with the Father. He took on the fading garment of our humanity. He pitched his fleshly tent in silence on straw in a stable under a star. He came down, down, down to save us. What a great Savior. But not only that, not only is it a great story, not only is it a great Savior, but Christmas is about a great salvation that he brought for you and for me. Why is this salvation so great? The text tells us this morning for two reasons. It said Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that the grace of God that's appeared to all men is universal in its application. He didn't just die for you and for you and for you. He died for all of us here this morning. He died for the whole world. The arms of his, his salvific love reach out globally this morning. And it's interesting how that comes through the scriptures and everything about Jesus. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 2 where it gives the genealogy of Jesus. If you know anything about Jewish genealogy and how a, a, Jew, a Jew would write their history or refer to their genealogy in any way, it's always males that are mentioned. Women are never mentioned in genealogies. They were not important. What was important was the male line. But if you go back to that genealogy in, in Matthew, there are going to be four women that are mentioned in that genealogy. The first is going to be Tamar. The second's going to be Rahab. The third's going to be Ruth. And the fourth is going to be Bathsheba. They are put there deliberately to let you and I know something. Tamar was that daughter-in-law of Judah that plays the harlot and has, commits literally incest with her own father-in-law and a child is born. Rahab was the Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba was an adulteress with David. Those four particular women are deliberately placed in that genealogy. Why are they there? They're there to tell us that Jesus Christ came into the world to save the socially unacceptable. He came into the world to save the racially unacceptable. And He came into the world to save the morally unacceptable. The salvation that He brings is a salvation for one and all. When you look <clears throat> at the woman chosen to be his own mother, scholars tell us that Mary was no more than 14 or 15 years old. 
What does that tell us? It's telling us that he came for the young. When you see his dedication in the temple, there was Anna and Simeon, both deeply aged, elderly people. What does that tell us? It tells us that he came for the old. On the very night of his birth, who came to herald his birth? Shepherds. Shepherds among Jewish people, among cultured people. They were outcasts. They were illiterate. They were unlearned, unschooled. They, they were referred to as the stinky, illiterate shepherds. But that's the people that the angels appeared to. And then we have the picture later on of wise men, the scholars coming from the east bearing precious gifts. What in the world are all of those pieces of a jigsaw puzzle telling us? They're telling us that he has come for the socially unacceptable, the racially unacceptable, the moral unacceptable, for the young, for the old, for the intellectuals, for the illiterate, for the wealthy, for the poor. The gospel that we proclaim this morning, the good news of Christmas, it is universal. It is for every one of us. But even greater than that, it's personal. Paul said, it's a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, quite frankly, Paul was not trying to say he's the worst man that ever lived. He hadn't heard of Hitler and a lot of others. What he was simply saying is, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a murderer. I was a sinner, but he found me and saved me. It's deeply personal. As we celebrate these days of Christmas, we need to celebrate the fact that it's not a myth. It's not Santa Claus. But Christ Jesus entered time and space. He came. He dwelt among us in his miraculous incarnation. He came down. He laid aside all those heavenly, his heavenly glory, his royal splendor. He took on the fading garment of our humanity. He walked among us. He came down in humiliation. But he came down to say, came down to give us a gospel that is for every man and woman, but a gospel that is personal, a gospel that's for you. And the closing question is, have you opened that door to him? One of my favorite Christmas stories, a true story, took place in Canada, a small church. There was a little boy there in the church. His name was Johnny. Johnny was big in body, but slow in mind. He had some form of learning challenge. Not sure what it was, but good kid, but just slow. He had difficulty learning. He had difficulty always getting his parts right in the Christmas play. But he was a good kid. Johnny was always the kid that was there to take up for the little guys. If some bully was going to push him around, Johnny got in between them. If somebody came to school and they'd forgotten their lunch, it was Johnny who was there 
ready to share his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Johnny had a heart big as the state of Texas. He had a love for everybody, but slow in his thinking. It's Christmas time now in the local church where Johnny goes. The lady that was over the Christmas program that year knew that like this year, like every year, Johnny was going to be asking, uh, what's my part? What's my part? Can I have a part? So she had already gotten ahead of things and she'd already picked out a part for Johnny. She had Joseph's part and Mary's part and the wise men and the shepherds and the angels and all of the other parts that would be spoken, but she saved a very short part for, jo for Johnny. Johnny was going to be the innkeeper. All he had to do was open the door and say, no room, and be gone. Four simple words. Didn't take much to learn it. They'd practice Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Now it's the Sunday night. The program is there. The church is dark. The stage is lit. All of the children are in their places, the angels, the wise men, the babe, the manger. And all of a sudden, coming down the aisle is a little Joseph and a little Mary, obviously expecting a child. As they slowly make their way down the center aisle and knock on the door of that ancient inn, little Johnny suddenly flings the door open, steps out, Joseph looks up and says, Sir, I need a place for my wife. She's great with child. Is there a place here in your inn? And Johnny looks them over and he's lost in thought and suddenly he's poked from somewhere back behind stage and say, no room. And Johnny says, no room, no room. Joseph pleads with him and he says, Sir, but my wife, She's expecting any moment. Sir, don't you have a place? Johnny suddenly gets caught up in the moment. And he looks at Mary. And again, he gets prodded from the back. Tell them, be gone. He comes back and he finally says, be gone. And Joseph and Mary, of course, turn and start away. But Johnny can't get away from that moment as they turn and make their way down the aisle. Johnny's heart leaps and he steps forward. He says, wait a minute. You can have my room. Wait a minute. You can have my room. The congregation sniggers like you did. Then all of a sudden, it gets quiet. And suddenly tears begin to caress men and women's cheeks as they realize Johnny made room. Johnny made room. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Christmas. Christmas as we celebrate the Christ child coming into the world, born in a stable on straw under a star, born in human flesh, born to walk among us, to die on a cross, to rise again the third day, to ascend to heaven, born to save us from our sins. And we have the wonderful privilege of sharing the glad tidings that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief or the worst. All we have to do this morning is receive that and open that door to him. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but I know this. If there's anyone here this morning who's never done like Johnny and opened the door, you can. Because it is a faithful saying. It is true. The gospel is good news. The gospel is absolutely true. Jesus lived, died, rose again, and is coming again for those who have made preparation. Do you need his grace this morning? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the wonderful Christmas message. How it warms our heart over and over every time we think of it and every time we tell it. What a powerful statement left in Scripture for us that you came into the world to save sinners of whom any of us could use that language and say we were the worst. We were the chief of all sinners. And yet you came to give us grace. And that grace is available this morning for any man or woman that is here. Any man or woman listening through the live stream, wherever they are today, universally that gospel is available. That good news is theirs. And in the miracle of a moment, Jesus can come into their heart and transform their life forever. We pray today in the wonderful name of Jesus that that can be so wherever it needs to be. In your wonderful name, we bow our heads. We raise our voices in praise to you. We honor you this morning. And we ask your blessing on this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.